0: It's all in the game with Neil Atkinson and David Downey. Everything and anything football, it's all in the game on City Talk 105.9. Neil Satis, nisi Optimum, this is uh, all in the game. City Talk 105.9, Neil Atkinson and Dave Downey cruising through until 7 o'clock. And what we're going to talk about is what Dave got us all talking about last week, what he got himself talking about over the weekend. I want to talk about how Everton essentially nil status, nil initi optimum, Dave, however, and get themselves mm. to where you want them. It's one thing for you to say that you think that mm. there are these issues and you think you put the case very eloquently. You put it eloquently here, you put it eloquently talking to us on the Anfield Wrap, you put it very elo- eloquently in writing, which I think the City Talk account should actually tweet during this show in order to get, uh, have people aware of precisely what it is I'm referring to with reference to, to Dave. Um, you feel as though things are... Uh, uh, Rotten maybe a slight overstatement, but you feel as though there needs to be significant change at Everton. What sort of change is it that you want in practical terms? What would you like to see the club do differently? They've now got effectively five months until the kick-off of next season. There's, you know, there's then that season to, to work, to experiment. What do you want to see?
1: Um, well, I, I think that there's, there's there's two sort of channels I think Everton have got to to be aware of, first of all, and recognise that where there are issues. The first one is the the obvious, which is what we see on the pitch, what we see in this season, what we've seen develop and sort of, you know, decline over the the season, and and the way the managers approach things, the way various players have have, have been this season. Um, that needs to be addressed. As as all football clubs would do, they would assess their season mm-hmm. and make the appropriate changes. Um, the the way it ties in with the other way of of thinking, the other issue, Everton have is. The added income that we started to see at the uh, beginning of this season, when we when we signed Lukaku for 28 million, um, that needs to supplement what needs to change on the pitch. Now, the the problem I have, and the problem you know, an increasing number of Evertonians have, is how that's managed, how that's run, um, and how that's generally. There's no long term, medium term or even short term plan in place for that I mean, you know you, I, I remember when Rafa Benitez took over at Liverpool and it was and Julier and as well, I think he said the same sort of similar thing where there was a and I hate the word, this project you know, where there's a there's a plan, there's there's a yearly sort of instalment basis type thing going yeah, on. This is where, where we expect where, to be. Yeah, me and you had a, had a conversation off air last week about you know you you, you believe in a, you know largely three year cycles with football clubs and and how player turnover works and things like that. Everton never ever really had that. They've gone from season to season, and it's sort of been the general attitude that we'll we'll just see how this goes. The the attitude has always been, as far as I'm concerned, get to 40 points see where we can go from there. Make that your foundation of every single season. Now, for a long period of time, that was fine. Um, And, you know, obviously standards rise. What David Moyes did was a fantastic job at Everton. I'm not going to dwell on that because we spoke a lot about it last week and uh, I'm sick to the back teeth of sort of (laughs) repeating myself on it. But in terms of a plan going forward, that needs to be looked at as a significant period of time in Everton's recent history. And take each facet of that and have a look at it and see how you can improve on each one of those. Now, the obvious, the elephant in the room is, you know, the board, the ownership of Everton, uh, always been a very contentious issue at the best of times for Everton. And the, the general argument amongst our fan base now is, you know, people are only bringing it to light because we've had the poor season. Now, my sort of response to that is, well, then there shouldn't be a better time to sort of bring it up because... While things are poor, you you generally get a lot more people on board, you get a lot more people open to talk about it when they see things not being as well as, as well as the as well as they have been previous in previous years, under Moyes and Martinez's first season. It's almost a case of striking while the iron's hot, if you get what I'm saying. Mm. Um now I'm by no means calling for a rebellion, a revolution, anything like that, but I'd sort of think that <clears throat> Everton need to install some sort of plan, you know, that there's a lot up in the air concerning the stadium move to um, Walton Hall Park, which you know we all approach with scepticism, given the two previous failings in mm-hmm. terms of moving a ground, and that's ultimately whatever it needs in in the long term. Um, but it needs to move on, Neil. The bottom line is it needs to move on from a you know a period of sustainability, a period into a period of containment in many ways, to genuine ideas for progress. How do you move this club forward? Now. It's uh, what you'll probably say to me is I'm coming up with more questions and answers than what you've given me the question. You, I, I think there's a number of different things that can be done. You know, you look at in, in terms of you ultimately want investment in the club. You 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 ultimately look at Liverpool's model of what they did in terms of bringing bringing in some of the independents who can sort of float the club about a bit. Mm. Um, you know, the the message that we get from Everton, which are, which I think is where, where they really fall short ultimately is it's the same sort of thing that they churn out all the time. You know, we're looking every day for investment. There's, there's, there's things that they, they should be doing a lot better. You look commercially as well. You know, people slight the hell out of Ian Air. But what he's done commercially for Liverpool, I'd imagine is probably a really good job. I, I'm not privy to the sort of thing you probably show know, he's, he's done a good job. I think,
0: you know, Eyre's done a good job. I think there's, there's, the, there's different limitations, obviously, in and around Everton, I think to to take what you're saying, sort of one step at a time. I think that there's got to be an acknowledgement that it's very very difficult for uh, for any side to sustain and do very well in the Premier yeah. League, um, who haven't got, you know, th- I mean, it's it's difficult enough for Liverpool. They've got the fifth biggest wage bill in the country. Uh, Liverpool struggle, uh, and I think that needs to be said. You know that that's that if 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 Everton are trying to get to. A moment, a peak, and and sustain it. You know, I think that there's got to be an acknowledgement that Liverpool, who are significantly richer than Everton for a variety of reasons, it's all you know, it's 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 relatively complicated. But that the deck is very much stacked against Everton, mm-hmm. and I do think it was interesting. We were getting tweeted by uh, by Joseph Pepper. Who I've had this conversation with before uh, when we we were talking about your piece in the week, and it was interesting with Joe saying that basically the deck's rigged and there's mm-hmm. nothing that can be done. And I think that one of the smart things to do, and this is where you know, this is where for me football clubs become suddenly fascinating and this is where there's this conflict between a football club and a business Everton should in the same way that I think Liverpool should they should be genuinely um, calling for a cap on ticket prices uh, country wide mm-hmm. and the reason why is simply because Everton can't, Liverpool can't win an arms race but Everton certainly can't win an arms yeah. race so if you can find a way to, to, to champion the cause that, for instance, you limit ticket prices, then you limit more other people can get yeah. through the gate. So on and so forth. You're beginning to win that argument. But I think in general, you know, Everton should be internally in a Premier League discussion. They should be arguing for a more equitable split of money. You would think, you would think that uh, Everton would be in a position to lead along with, say, Tottenham, say anyone apart from Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea and City. Mm. You would feel as though the other 15 members of the Premier League club should be able to push for a way in which them, with way the, the way the money splits for it to become more equitable, for them to find a way, you know, you would think that if there was genuine dynamism in a boardroom, in any of these boardrooms, you would think Everton could make common cause with Daniel Levy, with, you know, with, with other owners in the country to find ways in order to ensure that that split is as equitable as it can be, so that you can't have a situation where a Manchester United and Arsenal, etc. can run away. You'd be looking to push all of the things that make the deck as unrigged as possible. And I think that's the, first, you know, and when you have the exchange with Joey's... but I don't understand why people aren't sort of campaigning. And it will, in, in some ways, they are, but also. Why does this always fall to football supporters? Mm. Why, why aren't the people in these Absolutely. boardrooms that I'm mentioning yeah. saying to one another, well, it's it's fundamentally unfair? Why, for instance, aren't Everton railing against the fact that Chelsea are effectively getting around the FFP rules by having 28 players out on loan? Why isn't someone in Everton's boardroom, in Tottenham's boardroom, saying Liverpool have got 10 players out on loan? Why aren't they saying, you know, you should only be allowed to have five? Mm. It's a competitive advantage. Why aren't... They, they, and the reason why is because, and I do think it is a mentality point, is that because of the money that perpetuates for Everton and Spurs in comparison to say Burnley, you know, because of that, the, the, it, it, it it keeps that gulf in place. Mm. You know, it's very very difficult, and and to a certain extent, Everton have had a good go this year. But it's very very difficult yeah. for Everton to go down, given the stuff that we talk about on yeah. wage bill. Yeah, it impacts Everton going up, but it also impacts Everton from a going down point of view. So you've got to be you've got to have a risk taking mentality to say, can we basically make this fairer? Yeah. And I think that, and, but if you, if you do want to achieve, if you do want to be genuinely competitive, if you want to make the league as competitive as you possibly can, then all of these things, and you'd make enemies, I'm sure, and I'm sure that the politics wouldn't be great, and there'd be someone saying, come on, can't we all make all the money together when you yeah. go into these sorts of rooms? I
1: think that's what everyone's genuinely bought that's, into, is And, I, and I think
0: that's, that's what genu- everyone's genuinely bought into, but at some point, I think one of the bigger clubs, um, you know, including Everton, including Liverpool, including Spurs, are going to Break ranks at some points and, and have to be the unpopular ones, mm-hmm. and say that the gravy train—it's lovely, it's nice—but we can do more with the gravy. And I think that that's the first way in which you know if Everton have got genuine designs on the idea of being able to be very, very competitive at the top end of the table, and I mean very competitive. Behind the scenes, that's the first thing. More than the idea of mm. getting new external investments, because you've still got FFP to deal with now. Absolutely, the drawbridge has been pulled up. You know, more than the idea of even of a ground move, I think that more than anything else, the idea of trying to find ways to do it behind the scenes to to, to unrig the deck is the first way Everton can get themselves back in that situation. But it comes with risks, as I say, because yeah. if you start giving more money to Burnley, there's every chance Burnley can get past Everton.
1: No, I completely agree with that. That and and, and that's an excellent point. To, you know why, why should supporters, you know, them have to burden the, uh, the the grunt of all this to be honest with you. And the the other aspect with Evan which I think ultimately stinks and it's the main issue I've had. I mean I, I've never been a <coughs> a massive you know an activist in terms of, you know, get the board out, march on goodness and things like that because I think there's probably several different Ways of doing things, and there's also a lot of different problems that are, that aren't just them. Okay, yeah, they're the the nucleus of it all. I, I understand that. I understand everybody's concerns towards that. But I think, you know, if, if you if you have someone a, a leadership that is as stubborn as Everton sort of appears to be, um, you know, their, their perspective perceived by the public and uh, supporters alike, that they are very stubborn, that they are. Not going to sell up to. I mean, the, the obvious argument is we're not going to sell to any Tom Dick or Hardy because you know you look L- at the examples of Portsmouth. You look at the you know even the extreme ones. Even even the just that you know you look at the Hicks and Gillette, Of course, exactly, um, and and that's a perfectly valid argument. It really is. The the real thing that gets me is Everton's commercial dealings. Um, you know, looking at and I, again, I'm only an Ian observer, and uh, you know, I beg to be told otherwise. But you know, you you look at how. Everton don't exploit things that they should be doing. And, you know, you said, you said to me, quite rightly, you know, Liverpool have the lion's share of, of the most things that go on in this city, footballing-wise, in terms of um, commercial deals, in terms of, you know, general success of the club in recent years, in modern history, mm. you know, Liverpool hold all the cards. The, the thing that I'd like to see us do, which is probably a little bit more of an outsider, you know, a different way of thinking is... What are Everton's unique selling points that are different to Liverpool's? Now you start by looking at your personnel. You, you look at Tim Howard now. As much as I've slated Tim, ha- Tim Howard all season, given both battles on every t- opportunity you've given me on our show, um, he is, is is seen as a hero in America. And you look how MLS and mm. you know soccer in America is kicking off now. There's no reason why Everton should be over there. Throwing Tim Howard absolutely everywhere around very aggressively as an
0: ambassador and et absolutely, cetera, et cetera. Absolutely,
1: yeah. and similarly, I think they missed the boat with uh Tim Cale as well. Um, from an Australian point of view, I visited Australia when Tim Cale was here, and to a man, every single person knew he, who he was, every single person knew who Everton were. Could they get hold of an Everton top for instance, yeah, you know, with, they, Cale, on the, with Cale on the back? Absolutely not. I turned up. I remember going off on a bit of a tangent here, I remember turning up playing for my cousin's five-a-side team while I was there, and having a, I had an on top of kale on the back, and people were in awe. <laughs> like, what's going on here? Where did you Sh- get that from? Sure was your touch, Dave. They were in awe of Yeah, it was. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, that was after they saw me play. Uh, sorry, before they saw me play, unfortunately. <laughs> then they saw me and thought, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll rip that shirt off, and he doesn't deserve it. Um yeah, and I think Everton are pretty useless at that, to be honest with you. I, think
0: I, mean, I, I, agree, with that, I agree with that, but I also think that there's, there's something else here, which is, and it comes back to the, the thing that was the undercurrent to your article. We're going to go with the break in a minute, because I want to do, ideally, maybe even to all three parts of the show on this, because I am fascinated by it. But there's another thing here, which is that I, I, I think that... I think Everton need to have more of a sense of who Everton are, absolutely, and that helps you therefore then go and sell and, and be able to say you know this is if you mm-hmm. if you follow Everton this is this is what you follow this is what you're getting into, and that that sense of whatever now as I say it's all over your article and it's and, and I think and, and I don't I'm slightly uncomfortable saying this as a Liverpool supporter because people can say oh he is the copite and so on and so mm-hmm. forth, but one of the things that I, I agree with you on is that the sense of who Everton are has to be something that's bigger and greater than not Liverpool. Yes. If you're trying to speak to people who are another continent away, who've really not got a geographical Graphical sense of Everton and this is important um, I was fortunate enough to get uh, Peter Carney does these excellent bus tours for, for Liverpool supporters and again it's the easy thing to say and did you hear what the cop I'd said on City tour? but <laughs> wherein he had a couple of lads who were from abroad and they could not get their heads around the proximity between the two grounds uh, Peter took us into Stanley Park and basically found that he got the point that's equidistant He's, it's a wonderful tour this thing Peter does uh, it's about football and Liverpool as a whole it focuses a bit more on Liverpool than Everton because Peter himself supports yep. Liverpool but it's, it's a fascinating mm-hmm. historical Thing and they could not get their head around these. These are these are people who who love Premier League football, who love Liverpool, but they couldn't get their head around the proximity between the two mm-hmm. grounds because there's no sense of that that comes through. And I think that there's got to be something more than not Liverpool behind the way in which. And I, th- I you know, I thought that was coming through in bits and pieces last season, but you know, I. Uh, I also saw that you were having a, a, an argument on Twitter with someone who was saying that you know all of Everton's spells are just golden spells, and then there's there's, there's fallow periods. Well, that's the case for everybody, yeah. and everybody, yeah. and, and you're still in a situation where I think Everton have won the, the fourth or fifth most league titles that's in right, the country. Yeah. Yep. You know, we're still it was still in that situation. That's still literally the way in which the, the way in which the world works. And yeah. I think finding that way to to, to emphasise everywhere. Everton's history, the the, the very fact of, and as I say, I thought it was happening last season, the school of science aspect, finding the positive markers to then drop in the not Liverpool part thereafter rather than almost leading with it. I think that would be, you know, could only help when you're speaking to Mm. someone in Australia.
1: Yeah, well, and, and you know, it's no coincidence that all of those have absolutely nothing to do with any sort of acknowledgement towards Liverpool, which is generally what the Modern day way Everton conduct mm. themselves is. I mean, you look at the, you know, I mentioned in the piece that I've written, you know, you, you look at the, the slogans they use for the PR campaigns with season tickets. It's, you know, we go the game. That's a nod across the park. You know, every time you see Liverpool don't sell out way, away, people two. expose it all over the place. Everton 2, Liverpool 1. It's it's sort of littered with all of that. And I think the it's. The People's Club. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're all a nod towards Liverpool. Um, and and I think it's quite embarrassing, really. I, I think, and 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 the, the point that I did make in the piece as well, which is, you know, t- to sort of, you know, counter the argument that people would label it, you know, Everton sort of being compared to Liverpool in that light, is you can understand to a certain extent from supporters, you can understand that comparison because they've been starved of that success for so long you can understand them you know having that little bit more needle when when there's a derby on we've won 3 in 33 for instance you know you what what you what you sort of don't you haven't had for so long you you sort of mm-hmm. yearn for don't you and you sort of exactly and not the club yeah that's the thing that is the exact point that I wanted to make is that the the club should be of a totally different way of thinking and what they've actually done is the it's a massive cop out because they've milked what fans sort of think they've milked that and nobody sort of realised probably well they may well have um nobody's realised that this isn't right this this shouldn't be on we're all here we're all saying you know look at us compared to Liverpool we're very you know precious about Everton and things how Everton conduct themselves and all too keen to point out that Liverpool have flaws and you know all of that sort of thing we're or not manufactured and all that stuff That that's great to a certain extent and the club have played the blinds in that regard but there's no distinction between that and showing any real ambition
0: OK, uh, all in the game, City Talk 105.9 we're going to keep talking about this, we're going to talk about it on the pitch after the break It's all in the game with David Downey and Neil Atkinson on
1: City Talk 105.9
0: City Talk 105.9 Neil Atkinson, Dave Downey, talking about Everton 3 until 7 o'clock um, uh, Stokes sacked Tony Pulis <clears throat> Stokes sacked Tony Pulis, why? Dave Downey
1: The second the because they reached a, a standard And a consistent standard every season Where you know fans then, quite rightly so Because that's the way football should work Started expecting more, they started wanting more They started aspiring to be a better football club uh, And obviously that was matched by the decision makers at Stoke And you know, come thick or thin And, and this, this, this goes back to the argument What I said about, you know You be careful what you wish for in terms of investment, be careful what you wish for in terms of managers, you know, it can quickly become a revolving door. Christian Walsh wrote a fantastic piece in the Echo to that regard, and you know, you look at at the Pompey example, you know, you look at Leeds, things like that, but we are at a stage in a climate in football where risks do have to be taken. There's no reason why they can't be considered risky Neil. they can't be. Of course. You know, you you look at you play percentages in, in, in all facets of the game, you know, that obviously that's why David Moyes was so successful on the pitch. There's no reason you can't do that when you're looking to progress as a football club and I, I think going back to the Stoke thing you've asked me, that is what they did. They made an assessment and thought, well, do we keep being content with staying in the Premier League finishing 12th to 17th every season and the the ultimate answer was no and you've got to applaud people who make those sorts of decisions I think what I would like, what I think
0: there should be at every football club in the country uh, and certainly all the Premier League clubs I would like there to think and, and there isn't, but I would like to think that someone somewhere has written down how we win the league Mm. Are all 20 clubs in the top flight How we win the league in the next 10 years It'd
1: be interesting that, to see how many clubs that would actually uh, You know, that's something that
0: is, all yeah. is the, There's the collectivised there's knowledge of These are the steps we take in order to do this Because what I think has happened And I think it's the exception of The, the th- very thing I talked about at the start mm. The idea of accepting reality That the deck's now so rigged So on and so forth That we can't make the change that we need For a variety of reasons <laughs> And exceeding to that reality mm. And just sort of doffing your cap to it because my, my next sentence on this is, well, then what's tomorrow? All the time, what's tomorrow? And this is where I think the Everton example gets interesting because, you know, Everton are one of the most successful clubs in the country. That's the history of Everton in the, in the way in which you can point to any club's history and Everton outrank practically everyone. Um, you know, the, the, it's only really the rivals in the northwest where Everton have got to turn around and say, hmm. All right, lads. You know, apart from that, Everton theoretically outrank everyone in the country. So <clears throat> this is where I think it's fascinating because I don't quite see what the point of having perpetual... perpetual all right-eighths. I don't see what the point of that is. Yeah. And w- w- when does it change I can, if there was this idea that the, 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 way, the, the way the league the, the, the deck's now stacked well we're not going to do anything about that so on and so forth but because we know that it all changes in 10 years but well, when does it change you said to me in the break there that Everton, according to the last Deloitte report one of the 20th in the top 20 richest clubs in the world mm-hmm. the top 20 richest football clubs in the world mm-hmm. and in the same way that Liverpool suffer from this Liverpool are top 10 in the world but one of the issues is that there's four above them and they're in the same division
1: yeah yeah <laughs>
0: You know, and that's that, so that therefore makes it problematic. But that 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 aside, if you're in that position, you should be able to make a degree of hay. You should be able to find ways to you know to push and to push and to push. And there isn't so. I think we would agree. It would be very surprised if you know if Everton could produce a document which is this is how we win the league in the next ten years. And obviously, literally, not every club in the country, in in the top flights at the moment can win the league in the next ten years. Both in terms of the fact that there's twenty of them, there's only ten years, but also in terms of the in terms of the, the the situation around money, but this is, I think, where it gets absolutely fascinating because I just always want to know why not? In that, otherwise, what's the point? And is it is it very much the idea of you know you, we are happy, we feel as though the people that we represent, these supporters, they're happy with all this sort of stuff with where that their reality currently is? And if that's the case, and if you know, if fundamentally you were to say to to the Everton's you know supporter base this is this, these are our options and they were to be pretty much prepared to go well let's just let's just sit still but i get the impression more and more now speaking to evertonians that they're not prepared to sit still they they they, they want to see everton if not at the top table then at least trying to get there at least putting a road map in place
1: well, I, I don't think any football fans should be that way of thinking because they're in the wrong sport if they are, to be honest with you. If, they, if footballers are genuinely content with what they see every season, I mean, you even look at, you know, let's talk extremes, you look at Chelsea, say if they were to win the Premier League next three or four seasons on the bounce, you know, their next goal would then be to couple that with the Champions League. There's always... I'm gonna sound like a motivational speaker here, but there's always ways to improve, you know, and that is what a football fan should demand of their football club, no matter what scale it is. You know, if you're in League Two in a relegation battle, similar to Tramir over the water now, what's their objective? Stay up next season, mm. aim for the playoffs, aim for mid table constantly trying to improve, that doesn't seem any way forthcoming in Everton like you say, there'd be no way you could go and search through every document at Goodison Park and there'd be no plan oh. laid out where Everton ultimately achieve even a Champions League place to uh, a trophy to a Premier League title and, and that's where thinking has to change, Neil that, that's what it really does, um, and and the point that I don't get is, okay let's accept the hand in which we're dealt, okay we're skinned, you know, let, let, let's Call a spade a spade. We're absolutely skinned. Fair enough. What other ways can we operate? What other ways can we take advantage? What other ways can we exploit and make our football club better? And there's not that way of thinking, Neil. There's a simple acceptance of where we are as a football club and then... It's just let's take it well, as it comes. Let's let's pick our battles. Let's let's just concentrate on. Like I said, getting to forty points and then and then. But this is where, where we go from
0: there. But this is where we're skinned, We're skinned, We're skinned But we're yeah. going to give Gareth Barry and Tim Howard a huge contracts oh, yeah. well, for the distance apart. <laughs> and that to me is it's indicative of a mentality. And this is I, I very much like, especially Gareth Barry as a footballer, <laughs> and have liked him for many years. But this is where it's indicative of a mentality of let's make sure that tomorrow's the same as yesterday. Mm. And that's what I keep keep harking back to here. And how do we do that in the summer? Well, we need to make changes well we need to make changes we've got a limited amount of money so on and so forth but we really could do with being the same as last year Mm. let's just think about last year how did that work Gareth Barry played great Gareth trying to come and sign for Everton give you a one year deal I'm only going to sign for three Everton walk away have a chat and go All well, let's let's sign him up for three years and this Therein, I think, is the is is the essence of a, of a specific problem, and this is where, you know, if it, the one thing I'd, again, which I'd like to think Everton should be going on now, is sitting down and Everton basically working out what do the next three years look like, what's the three years after that look like, and what do the three years after that look like, mm. and even now, from an, as an outsider, you know regardless of the fact that they've had difficult seasons for a variety of reasons, some of which I think is harsh, certainly on Lukaku, but there's a spine running through that Everton side, which is Lukaku, Barkley, McCarthy, mm. Stones, where you've got those two close to each other up top, where they should be looked looking to get them in tandem as much as possible. And if you've got a spine, you've got something you can build around.
1: Mm. Sorry. Yeah. To to address the first issue about the you know offering multiple year deals to players over the age of thirty, I, I think you know it, it, it's an absolute minefield. Um, there are very few exceptions that I make to doing that. To be honest with you, um, I highlighted it at the time. The, the interesting thing with the Baddy deal was you know you, you take an example like Sylvan Distan who we've had terrific servers off. Um, and he's been over the age of 30. I think he signed when he was over the age of 30. Yeah,
0: he's, I, don't, I don't understand how Silva understands agent works but go He yeah,
1: got years of great service out of him. It's probably come to the end, and he's going to leave this summer. Um, but you, you know, you, you look at him as a blueprint for players coming to a football club over the age of 30. He's assessed throughout the season, and then offered a one-year deal. Now, I can understand... I mean, Gareth Barry's played the blinder really hasn't he? Because he said, other oh, clubs want me, which he yeah, probably but, did.
0: Yeah, am almost certainly would have
1: done, yes. And... You know, I'm only going to stay if you can give me three years. I enjoyed my time last season. I need to safeguard my future. I'm retired soon I need to milk the cow as long as I can. That's understandable from his part. But the way I mean, I'd love to have been there for the a, a fly on the wall for those negotiations when Evan has sort of held over a battle, really. Well, they don't need be, but it doesn't obviously the battles. But my point about this is the battle is of their own mental creation. Well, this is it. That, that's exactly it. And you know, this is where I think Martinez is in in between a rock and a hard place in a certain extent because, like you say, he's highlighted that Gareth Baddy was a major force in Everton's success last season. He's thought, we need to keep this lad. He's approached decision-makers at Goodison and said, look, he needs to stay on. How far are you willing to go here? And he said, well, you know, he's an integral part of the side. I need him. Bang, there's three years. Uh, Tony Hibbert was given uh, a two-year extension as well. mm I think he played once in in a year. I think when he played at Anfield was his first start in over a year. It, it doesn't it doesn't make sense at all. It, it's uh, it, there's no policy in place. I, I and, and you know you look at you look at even even things that that would affect in terms of team morale, in terms of you know a, a cohesive unit, a happy workforce. You've got Sylvan Distant sitting there thinking, well, I, I, I've got to work my proverbials off all season long to win an extra year here when this fella's had one good season come along and got three years under his belt at the age of 33 it doesn't add up mm. and the, the 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 funny thing about it is you know you look at how generally poor Gareth baddy has been this season you do start to question whether that motivational factor goes when you've got that sort of Reliance, so that that you know safety net to fall back on. It it happens when the year Everton finished fourth under Moyes. We had, I think, we had as much as ten players who were in the final year of the contracts in that season. They they strive to earn contracts, mm. got contracts, got fourth place, got a Champions League qualifier, and then the next season after you in and all those deals, we finished seventeenth with our lowest points total in the Premier League. It, I, I don't think there's much of a. You know, th- 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 and there's a definitely co- coincidence in there.
0: This is where I think uh, it, it and again, you know, this idea that you want, you can be happy enough if you if you're on the Everton board between seventh and fourteenth, and mm. so therefore, you. What's the easy option? We need to sign Barry up. What's the easy option? We need to sign Howard up. Yeah. And this this is. It's addressing and being able to be able to turn around to Roberto Martinez and say, we're empowering you to do something unlikely, to do something different. We're giving you a little extra money. Maybe it's not a little extra money we're giving you. we're being emboldened in our scouting choices. Maybe it's you're empowering them by actually giving him a bit of stick and you're saying, well, mm. you can't have that lad. We've gone into the negotiations. This is what he said. You cannot have him. That's that done. We cannot have mm-hmm. him. We cannot We cannot make that that, that decision. And f- but finding a ways to build for it. But, but, it, but it, so that he understands. So that Martin is just going away thinking, right, well, I need to find the next one. I need to find a gap. I need to find pull that trick again. Mm-hmm. Or find another trick or find a new one. You know, just find something that's a little bit different. And I think that the, the next three years for Everton, regardless, are going to be absolutely critical in that just to stand still, they've got to run faster. Uh, when you look at Stoke, when you look at West Ham, when you look at Swansea, when you look at Southampton, these all look like football clubs one way or another with a plan. Yep, uh, you're, you're looking at a West Ham um, hierarchy who are looking at this move into the Olympic Stadium and who simultaneously are looking at sacking a manager who's got them to the top half because they, they, they feel as though they need that stylistic change in order to mm-hmm. kick on and push on in Stoke you're looking at a side that they've made their big decision with reference to Pulis but they look constantly engaged and are prepared to take risks to push forward Swansea they look like you know, they're, they're 49% owned by the people or something, something ridiculous like that, they're in a, they're in a healthy situation, Even Palace. They, seem, they seem self-sufficient, they take over the, the, the squad's got 20 workers, all of whom are quite interchangeable with one another, but you are waiting for the idea that maybe they could kick on in, in some way. Southampton look as though they've cracked aspects of recruitment. You you delve into the club, the manager has nothing to do with recruitment. They've got a, Whether it works or not, they've got a blueprint. Mm. You're going to look after this, you're going to look after this, you're going to look after this, and he coaches the first team, and that's all he does, that's all he worries about. They've got a plan. And that, I think, from an Everton point of view, if all all you're doing is just hanging on every single year in the hope that you might get the odd flyer, then I think that you can quite easily find yourself not just be, be behind the top five or six, but if you haven't got the structures in place, you haven't got a plan in place, you haven't sat down and gone, mm. this is what we do, then forget the top five or six, there's four or five beneath them who very, very quickly could be looking a better football side.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Miss golden opportunities, Neil. That That's exactly what it is. And, uh, you know, there's there's choices need to be made decisions need to be made and uh, there is where I have great great sympathy for Roberto Martinez regardless of what you think the job he's done regardless of how he's performed this season the man has genuinely come in with ambition and you can quickly see uh, uh, even in examples last season and obviously largely this season where he's and I hate to use the term let down because obviously I think the majority of players at Everton will align themselves with that sort of ambition. Um, you can see where that where Everton have fell short to that regard. And I mean, you look at you. You mentioned there West Ham, Stoke, all primed for what happens next. They're all in position to make a reaction. They're all proactive every season because they get the they get the affairs in order. And then are ready for whatever eventuality comes their way. You know, you, you Southampton, uh, an ideal model, you look at they were ripped to shreds in, in, in the summer. Um, and there was a genuine rethink, there was a genuine philosophy change, there was a general, you know a load of people with ideas to come yep. in and make a change and think, Well, hang on, we'll go in this direction and we'll see where this takes us. An interesting concept that, I've, I've discussed with a few people this week, and it, it's one that I've never ever sort of explored. But the more I think about it, the more I think mm, maybe it could work at Everton as a director of football. Uh, and and that automatically, I think, gives you those foundations for a plan.
0: We'll talk about that after the break, Neil Atkinson. Dave Downey with you until seven o'clock. It's all in the game with Neil Atkinson and David Downey on City Talk 105.9. Indeed, indeed, City Talk 105.9, Neil Atkinson and David Downey with you for the next five minutes or so as we sum up this conversation about whatever Everton are now. I think that you mentioned the director of football thing there, Dave. I mean, this is, again, it's the idea of of the being a gamble, the idea of the being a man who, who being able to put someone in place who can take um Show leadership, take risks, take work out of the manager's hands. Make it more straightforward, in a sense. Be responsible for a lot of what's going on and be able to say... And, and I think that this is the key thing, that, you know, have that over... Being able to say, well, I don't want to be watching Gareth Barry in three years. Mm. I'll I'll take responsibility for that one. I can understand why this fella does, and it makes sense to me that he wants... That we all want next year to be the same as last year, but we've got to have a jumping-off point. Be able to say, maybe this summer you know, I'm using this just as an example, but, you know, we, we we keep the young lad garbage. And we have a think about what we're doing with Leighton Baines, that we might have to make two or three quite big decisions in order to to process things, to push things along, in order to be able to say... To hit the targets that we're setting ourselves, and not just hit them off the basis of the fact that we've got a good manager, who got his players playing last season, who got everyone moving forward, who managed to change things to a certain extent. But the idea of being able to say, well, that's a one-off and it's a bonus, but we want to go with this step, then we go this step, then we go this step, and that's my job. Mm. As much as it is, that's my job to make sure he's constantly got the tools to do the job yeah, with.
1: Absolutely, that, that, that's a nail on the head. There, I mean, you, you look at a, a blueprint for, or you know, a, a perfect situation in which a director of football would. Work. It's a um a, a, a set up like Everton. Um, you know, you look at the trouble Spurs have had with them over the years. I think they have Frank Arnison, mm. uh Camoli as well. Um, you know, you can understand why clubs don't up for this when they they have certain people in power at a football club who's simply too much, too overwhelming for those people to handle. You look at Everton; they don't really have that character. Who is a Daniel Levy per se? Um, they have uh, Bill Kenwright, who's largely anonymous. Um, you know, to to his detriment, a lot of people would say. But um, you know, putting a director of football in is having that figurehead that that's at the centre of everything that goes on at the club. Recruitment-wise, play, but it's also just something different, and it gives someone, it gives people responsibility. Neil, people, it, you've then got somebody who's accountable for what happens, which I think at Everton a lot, a lot goes amiss in that regard because there's not people who stand up and be counted. There, there really isn't. Um, obviously, you have the age-old manager: is it the manager to blame or is it the players to blame? But having somebody above that who, who takes care of a, of a certain portion of Roberto, Roberto Martinez's work. I think would be hugely beneficial because the book would stop with them, and they would be—they'd have to answer to the manager. They'd have to answer to fans. They'd have to answer to people above them. I think it's a one of the most difficult jobs in the world being a director of football. But it's this idea as well that I thought where you could bring in somebody. I think Everton need a real nasty, you know, so Mm. and so. I really do. I think that's how you change. You get someone in who demands different things, demand success, they're not willing to settle for what there is in place. And I think you get that character in, you put them in a position of authority and it ruffles feathers and it changes people's views, it gets things working, it puts... It, you know, it puts things in place, it puts plans in place, which is what desperately what Everton needs. And uh, I, I think it'd be really, really interesting. It'd be very shrewd, but I think it'd be re- really interesting it's if the, Everton were to explore that. Again, it's there's sudden sort of that might not work,
0: and I think that this is really important. I think that, you know, in the same way that I was having a conversation before with, um, with 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 Sean Rogers about Liverpool at the weekend against Arsenal, and how Rogers can do this, and Rogers can do this, and Rogers could do this, but fundamentally, Liverpool could well get beat. And I think that it's important, I think, to a certain extent, to say that, uh, th- and this is why uh, understand the frustration of everything you've been driving at, Dave, and that you, you just want to see something change. You just want to see someone try something, as mm-hmm. much as anything else. The, it's not so much, even the idea of you think it can all be rosy or anything like that, yeah. but it's the idea instead that well, there's been effectively... You've now seen, you know, four very... Since Everton last won a trophy, there's been four very different managers in the hot seat at Everton, very, all qu- quite different personalities, quite different approaches to football. And it's the idea, I think, that what you, what you want to see is that, you know... They might all be different levels as managers and all that sort of stuff, but it but it can't just be them. It's more than just them. Whoever it is who occupies the hot seat still got to deal with all the other problems.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, it, there's a, a, a huge it's, it's, number it's, of it's things. Acknowledging
0: the limitations of of, yeah. of good managers. The, even even good managers can be limited by what's around them.
1: Yeah, absolutely, they can do. And and the thing is that that's where you need somebody else, I think, to shoulder the burden of that. You know, it, do you, you look at? you look at European clubs, I mean that director of football model works in a lot of different places, I mean the Southampton thing, like you said, you know, you've got somebody who just coaches the players, I think Roberto Martin has a benefit tenfold from that, because he's a man manager, you can see the thinking behind Liverpool trying to do it initially when they approached Brendan Rodgers, I think I'm right in saying Mm -hmm. he wanted that sort of structure in place obviously there was a compromise reached where obviously you have the transfer committee which is you know, under under close scrutiny uh, all the time at Liverpool, but The simple thing to say is it takes away certain sides of Roberto Martinez's job that he probably could do without having to do on a daily basis.
0: OK, then, this has been all in the game this weekend, Neil Atkinson and David Downey. the the, 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 the Interesting stuff right the way through. Uh, a couple of things to take from it. One is that I think people, ju- a lot of people just want to see football clubs move forward and push on. The other thing as well to take from it, which is very, very important, is, you know, don't go around the place and be saying to one another our oh, City Talk, you know, all they care about is Liverpool. Me and David <laughs> back with you next week. How about that for an hour?